Hey, uh, great to have you here. My name's Matt. Uh, if you're visiting today, uh, great to have you with us. Uh, we're in the midst of a series where we're, we are looking at some great stories. Uh, when I was a, a young Christian in my early 20s, um, I was in that, that, that phase, and I think it is a bit of a phase where, you know, I'd come, I hadn't come from a Christian background and I'd become a Christian, you know, reasonably dramatically and, and, and I was just so zealous for God, you know, um, in those days, I like to think I still am, but I was really, really charging for God in those days. But I went through that phase where my zeal was way further than my actual, than my character was. My character kept sort of dragging me down. Like I had a lot of work to do in terms of sorting out the stuff in my life. It's the sort of thing that takes decades to do. It's a wonderful uh, process actually, because you know, you, it's like an unfolding conversation of God where God leads us through this process of transformation. But I was in the early days of that and, and, and I just wanted to be, I wanted to be there straight away because I was so zealous for God and I just wanted to be St. Francis of Assisi, you know, overnight. And, and unfortunately, I wasn't. And I had that, that, that terrible thing where I, 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 because the disparity between my zeal and my character, I just kept, kept stumbling and falling over. It was kind of a, a very faltering Christian walk because I was new to the whole thing and came in with, you know, with, with, with an inevitable load of baggage that we do. And I remember at this point feeling such a failure, such an abject failure. In fact, it, it, even, it even got to the point where I felt in some sense disqualified. I thought God's given me access to this and I've just, and now I'm such a failure. And I felt, I felt completely disqualified in, in some sense and really doubting whether, it, whether God really accepts me because I've failed. So I don't know if you've ever felt like that. But in my discussions with Christians, it's actually very common. I remember during that period though, there was a particular sermon uh, that I heard from a, a Scottish preacher that was visiting uh, Geelong, um, a guy called Douglas McMillan. And um, he, he, I don't know if you, if you can pinpoint particular sermons that you heard uh, in your past that were, that were, really just right on the mark for where you were at, that, that to this day you remember them because they just caused a real shift. Um, this was one of, those, one of those moments and it was a message preached by this, uh, by this Scottish preacher in that wonderful Scottish accent uh, on King Manasseh of Judah. I'd never ever heard of this guy uh, I, was, I hadn't even ventured into the Old Testament yet. I sort of was reading the New Testament, but the Old Testament was like this big, deep, <laughs> big, thick thing. And it, actually, this was partly, I thought, oh, maybe I should start reading these stories. It was it, partly this, this sermon and this story of this particular king of Judah, this guy called Manasseh. And today, I wanna tell you the story of Manasseh, king of Judah, that had such an impact on me at that period on my life. It's a very precious story to me. It's recorded uh, twice in the Bible, in Kings and in Chronicles. The book of Chronicles gives us a little bit more information and so I'm going to focus on that account. Now, of all of the kings of Israel and Judah, Manasseh, King Manasseh was the worst. 
he was the worst of them all by far. It's interesting because Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah and Hezekiah was a very good and godly king, but Manasseh was born in the later years of Hezekiah. Interestingly, in the period, that extra period that God had said to Hezekiah, you're gonna die at this particular point and Hezekiah prayed and he asked for another 15 years and God gave, extended Hezekiah's life. And it was actually during this period that Manasseh was born. And so he was born with a bit of a silver spoon in his mouth. And it was, was a time actually even for Hezekiah when his faith had lapsed a little bit, bit of pride uh, creeping in there. This was the period during which Manasseh was born. Now I'm gonna pick up, uh, well, I'm gonna read the story from the start from Second Chronicles 33. This is the story of Manasseh, king of Judah. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He probably had a co-regency with his father, probably ruled along with his father uh, for, for a little while there. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals, and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and he worshiped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He even sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced divination, witchcraft. He sought omens. He consulted mediums and spiritus. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. This is the worst of all of the lists in these stories. It's the worst of the lists. I mean, here he goes full-blown demonic to the point when he, where he is actually sacrificing his own children in the fire, in an absolutely demonic ritual in which they would cast their infant children into uh, a fire, probably sacrificing to this um, Canaanite god, Molech. It, it was, in fact, this is the thing that God, in the law of Moses, God said, look, of all of the terrible things that I hate about what these people do in that land, and don't do that. That's the worst of the worst of the worst that you would even sacrifice your children in the fire because people, this, unfortunately, this was uh, something that happened in the ancient world. Well, uh, Manasseh immersed himself uh, in this. The writer of Kings adds to this list as if it needed to be added to by saying in 1 Kings 21 and verse 16, he says, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The chronicler then continues the second Chronicles 32 from verse seven. It says, Manasseh took the image he had made 
and he put it in God's temple of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors. If only they will do everything, be, be careful to do everything I've commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees and regulations given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil even than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. I mean, of other kings, it said that they did the terrible things that the other nations did. But right now in the reign of Manasseh, it says that Manasseh caused, Manasseh and the people of Judah became even worse than the people of the nations. Then it says in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people because the Lord never gives up on us. No matter how far we go, the Lord pursues us and he keeps speaking to us. And if we run away, he just dials up the volume. And we're gonna see that this happens for Manasseh as well. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no intention. In fact, it was none less than Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah that spoke to Manasseh. And it was during the time of Manasseh that Isaiah was actually executed. He was, according to tradition, uh, Manasseh had Isaiah killed by being sawn in two. Uh, That tradition is referred to, in fact, in um, Hebrews chapter 11, it refers to all these heroes of the faith and it talks about one who was sawn in two. It's actually, I know that's a, that's a ghastly image, uh, but that's actually referring to the martyrdom of Isaiah, which occurred during the reign of Manasseh. Well, the writer of Kings kind of leaves it here. For the writer of Kings, this is really, this took the people of Israel so deeply into idolatry that they really wouldn't recover. This would entrench something into this nation so deeply that eventually the nation would be, and as it was around 600 uh, BC, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the nation. They took them uh, into exile. So that's, you know, that's where the story finishes for the writer of Kings because the book of Kings was written to answer the question, was written in the time of the exile to answer the question, how did things go wrong? What, did, what, what led to this? And the writer of Kings, this is the stuff that led to this, right? But the writer of Chronicles wants to point out something. And this is what I love about his account. In 2 Chronicles chapter 11, it says, so the Lord brought against Manasseh and Judah the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner. They put a hook in his nose and they bound him with bronze shackles and they took him to Babylon. Now the Assyrians were not a nation that you would wanna mess with. In fact, they were the cruelest of nations in the ancient world. They were famous for the torments that they inflicted upon their captives. Uh, today, even uh, there've been uh, excavations of large tablets that used to be 
the walls of their palaces where they depicted with some pride, I may say, the Assyrians depicted these terrible, terrible scenes of torture. I was gonna put some up, but I thought let's just, you know, let's just not go too far here. But, but you can look these up, these terrible scenes. And they actually would line the walls of their palaces with the kinds of tortures that they inflicted on their victims. And it may be here that Manasseh may have got caught up with, because it refers to Babylon here. And just before this time, the Babylon was a region of Assyria that had rebelled against, uh, rebelled against the capital and they'd put down this rebellion. And it may be, um, evidence suggests, because uh, Hezekiah had some dealings with the people from Babylon, that maybe Manasseh was kind of on the wrong side of this deal. But what the writer wants us to see here is that this was God's doing. And so Manasseh was carried away by the Assyrians, no less. And they would have been angry. And they put a hook in his, they put a hook in his nose, treated him like a, an animal. And they dragged him back all the way to Assyria, probably on foot with that hook in his nose. And what torments he was subjected to there, God only knows. And what became of Manasseh? What became of Manasseh? Well, it says in 2 Chronicles 33 that in the midst of his distress, and how great would that, have, that distress have been there in Babylon, Manasseh, with lots of time to think. It says in his distress, he, Manasseh, sought the favour of the Lord his God and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved. The Lord was moved. By Manasseh? Really? And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty. And he listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. You can imagine what the people back in Jerusalem were thinking when they saw the delegation coming back and it's, oh no, oh no, Lord, what are you doing now? Manasseh's coming back. What are you bringing him back? You've delivered us from this guy. Lord, what are you doing? He's coming back. But see, Manasseh was a different person. Manasseh came back a different man and it says, 
after he came back afterward, verse 14, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David west of the Gion Spring in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. Also made it higher, he stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. Lists like this are kind of uh, uh, indications of God's blessing, right? They've, they've got the peace now to be able to do this sort of thing because these are significant works. Verse 15, he got rid of the foreign gods and he removed the image from the temple of the Lord as well as the old Altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and he sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it. And he told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Okay, so there's still, there's, there's, there's a lot of compromise here that he can't root out, but he's doing his best here. Verse 18. And the other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to his God and the words the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the kings of Israel. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty, as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites where he built high places and set up Asherah poles and idols before he humbled himself. All these are written in the records of the seers. That's a significant footnote. Manasseh rested with his ancestors and was buried in his palace and Ammon his son succeeded him as king. I remember um, some time, it could have been about uh, a decade ago, I, uh, I went out the front after the service one day and I, I saw um, one of the elderly members uh, of our congregation uh, at the time has since passed away and uh, a man who had walked with God for many, many years and, and was a very faithful uh, part of this church. And, and he looked really, he looked quite down actually. He looked really flat and, um, and I pulled him aside and I said, how are you going? What's, you know, what's, what's going on? And, and he shared with me that he had come to this place of just feeling as he looked over his life just felt like such a failure before God. He, he just, he was so conscious of all the things that he should have done, that he didn't do. All the things that he did that he, that he shouldn't have done and it was all piling up on top of them. And this man that had walked with God for so many years was saying to me with tears in his eyes, I just don't think that God is gonna accept me. I just don't think that when I stand before Jesus, he's gonna accept me. And my heart bled for this man. And we talked about the grace of God. We talked about the, the, the unending source of grace that we have in Jesus Christ, that because Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross, it's like the worth of His sacrifice is infinite and we have in Him an infinite source of grace and forgiveness. But this man, he knew all of that. But we had a chance to pray together and talk subsequently and, and, and you know, and, and I, think, I think he got to a place of assurance. But it's sadly common, that experience. I can't even begin to count the number of times I've had that kind of conversation with people. 
And it reminds me of a story that I referred to the sermon that I heard when I was in my early 20s. Uh, a story that this Scottish preacher told when he talked about Manasseh. And it's a story of a minister actually that lived, I think, in his particular area of, uh, of Scotland. Uh, I, I may have told you this uh, story a long time ago, and I think even, uh, Rob, you may have even uh, told this story at, at one point. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Uh, maybe we'll just leave it there then. Oh, no, I'll keep going, okay. Uh, it was a story about this, this minister, actually, who had served God for decades, uh, 40, 50 years in the service of God, and, and, uh, and he really had come, you know, was coming to the end of, of his life, and he was cast into this place of despair. He just, his name was Hector, great Scottish name, Hector MacPhail, his name was. And he, he, was, he just was cast into the depths of despair. He lost his assurance. Again, there was this, he, he just felt so overwhelmed by his sense of failure, being so conscious of what he should have done but didn't, being so conscious of all the things that he did do that he shouldn't have done and, and so conscious of all of, the, all of the, the, the motivations and the things that lie in our hearts and all of his failures just heaped up and it just cast him into this place of, of despair. And, and, uh, and, and he despaired that God would ever accept him when he stood before him on the day of his death. And, and different people came and they visited him and other ministers came and they, you know, they, they, would, they would speak to him, but he just would say, I don't, I'm, he, he just remained in that place of despair. Poor, poor Hector. And then one night, Hector had a dream. And in his dream, he was standing beside a roadway and it was extending out into the distance. And he looked up the roadway and up the end of the roadway, up on a hill, was what he understood to be the, king, the, the, the city of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the road was winding up to the gates. And he heard these sounds coming uh, from down the road, sounds of rejoicing, sounds of celebration. And he watched and he looked and he looked and he watched this, this crowd coming up the road in this celebration and dancing and there was music and there was praise and, 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 and a voice said to him, the voice of God said, Hector, do you know who these people are? said, Hector, this is Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs and their families. Watch them, Hector. And he watched them as they, as they went by with all their singing and their rejoicing and they watched them as they went up the hill and through the gates into the kingdom of heaven. God said, Hector, will you go in with them, Hector? Will you go in with them? And he said, oh no, no, not, not with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, not, I, I could never go in with them. And so we remained on the road and then off in the distance, he heard the sounds again of, of singing and, and rejoicing. And he saw another group coming up the road and, and the voice of God said to him, Hector, do you know who this is? He said, Hector, this is, this is 
David and the prophets and Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel. This is, watch them, Hector. And he watched this, this group of people with rejoicing and celebration, traveling up the road in their joy, going up into the gates of heaven. God said, Hector, will you not go in with them, Hector? And he said, oh no, 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 not with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't go in with them. And then the same thing happened again. And this time it was the apostles and the, and, and the, the early church and the great saints of the early church. And then, it was, and then it was groups of great leaders, even leading up right to his own to happen again and again. And each time God said to him, Hector, will you go in with them, Hector? Will you go in with them? And every time he said, oh no, I, I, I couldn't not with them. I could never go in with them. And when the last group went in, he saw the gates begin to shut, but not completely. And he looked down the road and he saw one solitary figure on a stick hobbling up the road. And he watched him come up the road, this bent over figure God said to him, Hector, do you know who this is? He said, Hector, that's Manasseh. Watch him, Hector. And he watched as Manasseh silently hobbled up that road and walked in through the gates of heaven. And God said to him, Hector, Will you go in with Manasseh? Will you go in with Manasseh? And Hector said, if Manasseh can go in, then so can Hector MacPhail. And he woke up and he was a different man because he understood. Because he understood something about the grace of God. And it's something that I needed to understand as a young Christian. It's something that I have needed to understand again and again and again, that the grace of Jesus Christ is inexhaustible. However much you have failed, you are not disqualified you are not disqualified from receiving the grace of God. Grace, which by very definition is the favour of God given to those who don't deserve, you are not disqualified. If you think, no, but I know better. No, but you don't realise, Matt, I know better and I still went and again and again. No, I'm telling you, you are not disqualified because no matter how many times, no matter how great you think the weight of your failure it is, is, it is not greater than the worth and weight of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is not greater. And there is grace enough for your failure. You who think you've done it again and again and again and again. You are not disqualified. 
And what God wants more than anything, what God wants having paid such a price in Jesus Christ for your forgiveness, God wants nothing more than to get what he paid for and that's you. He seeks and he saves what is lost. That's what Jesus said. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what is lost. I love that story of the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament, in, in the Gospel, where Jesus is going into this town and everyone's welcome. They're all, they've all come out because they've heard about this great prophet. And of all of the people there, Jesus points to one guy who happens to be up in a tree the most corrupt official in the whole town, like the worst guy you could ever pick out. And Jesus says, I'll have you. Because he loves to give grace to those who need it the most. I'm gonna get the music team to come up. Why don't you stand with me today? Folks, it's a simple, simple message that we see in the life of Manasseh. But it's something I want you never ever to forget. That no matter how much you fall, no matter how far you fall, you can come back to God. Don't delay, don't put it off. Because the moment after having gotten it so wrong, the moment you turn back and you seek the face of the Lord, God is moved, He is moved by your prayer and all of heaven rejoices. It's so simple, folks. It's hard to believe, almost hard to believe, isn't it? Because you don't get things that simple in life normally, but you do with God because this is the love and the grace of God. So let's thank Him and receive that today. Father, we come to You today as, as broken people, Lord God, as people who have failed in so many ways. Father, we come to You as people who have done things that we should not have done, who have failed to do a whole lot of things that we should have done. And today, Lord, we come to You with our failure, We ask you, Lord, for forgiveness and grace in Jesus' name. We turn our faces to you today, to our God who loves us so much. We come to the foot of your throne that you would receive us. And we give thanks to you, Lord, because in Jesus Christ, it is always Yes, it is always yes. And if you have come here today weighed down by guilt and failure, I wanna lift that off you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. It is illegal to walk out those doors carrying guilt and shame today because Jesus Christ lifts it off you right now. And you are free 
and you are forgiven and you have a clean slate. God picks you up and dusts you off, says, I love you, I've forgiven you. Now let's go again. Let's try again. Let's do better this time. We thank You then and we worship You, Lord, because of Your love and Your grace in which we take refuge. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Let's respond together. Thanks, guys.